You ready? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready? No, we're good. Let's, Let's go. Let's go. This is Inside with Outsiders. I'm Jeremy Iscari, and today we have Mohammed Hadla, an avid uh, attendee for our Outsiders destination trips. Outsiders. And there we go. He's a big supporter, and he's also big in commercial real estate, and he'll tell you exactly how he's involved. He's got his hands on many different aspects of that business. Pretty much. Um, but I've known you for how long now? About 20 years. Almost 20 years, that's right. Maybe 18, if you want to get technical about it, but let's yeah. just call it 20. Today. We'll call it 20. We'll call it 20. We met when we were um, 10. Um, <laughs> um, where are you from, Mo? Beirut, Lebanon. Beirut, where Lebanon. I was born. You were born there. The motherland. You know, um, so we were, here's a little funny story. <laughs> It's <laughs> a great way to start off. <laughs> it comes the icebreaker. So I've been, <laughs> I've been to Beirut. Correct. Mo was there at the same time. We're texting. We got to link up. He's from there. I'm like, great. I'm going to have a local tour guide. We're going to have fun. Me and Mo hang out in New York. It's a good time. Easy. This guy doesn't respond to my text or calls for like four days. Turns out he was on his deathbed with food poisoning in the country he's born in. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a combination of like sun poison and food poison and alcohol poison. Try, no, no, not that day. And then just kind of uh, trying to overcome it on my own. I just paid the price for that, too. Yeah. So I didn't get and to hang out bad. with I didn't get to see your Beirut. Mo, pull that mic a little closer to your face. Sure. There you go. You yeah. see? You got to put it right up in that face. Buddy. <laughs> yama, 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 yama. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I had a feeling this was going to be a good one. Yeah. Um, so you're from Beirut. When did you when did you immigrate to the states? 1984. And and your parents like you literally an immigrant from Beirut Correct. with your parents. You were how old in 84? Five and a half. And you came with your family. But uh, you how many siblings do you have? I I have five siblings now. At the time I got here, it was myself, Mesa, and my brother Zach. So it was three of us. Mm -hmm. And my parents uh, baked three more. They paid three, three girls <laughs> in the U.S. Nice. Yeah. Why did they so come four, to four sisters and uh, and uh, two boys? Why did they leave Beirut? Um, the main reason was the civil war was at its peak, um, and it's funny because even during the civil war, life was still somewhat. We made we always like Lebanese people know how to make the best out of everything, so there was still a form of lifestyle, um, but things got pretty bad in '84. Between the Civil War, and then you had Israel invasion, 82. That piled up, put a lot of stress on my mom, actually. Um, the visions of certain things that she had to see. And mm. uh, the doctor had recommended that maybe we leave the country for a couple of months. Really? Yes. Um, not only a couple of months, not four decades. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, at the time, my father had been an avid traveler into uh, Europe, um, well, I, got, I got yelled at Bams for a second. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. He's yelling at me always for having my phone. I'm sorry. Uh, listen, it was an F1 thing. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Pay attention to us, buddy. <laughs> it's an F1 go. Sorry. I, so, I my dad had been a traveler already. Like he had been to London already about 150 times for his business. He was an international uh, fashion, just bringing it into Lebanon, and um, you know, so we went to London first, and then my dad had a vision of trying out the U.S. We got to the U.S. and uh, that was, I think it was around March of 84, and here we are, uh, end of June of 23. Yeah. So what, uh, why, why the U.S., like, did he have family here? Do you have any connections? You guys come with no We came kind of cold turkey. Uh, yeah. I think he had one contact here in New Jersey, 
Um, it's funny. Landing here was funny. Um, and then I had a cousin out in Denver that won a scholarship from Lebanon. So he didn't grow up here either. So he was just there for college. Um, I remember when I landed here, uh, I was five and a half, and um, we got picked up by my dad's uh, friend, and he had that old uh, Chevy taxi cab, you know, those yeah. funky ones? Yeah. Um, so he was already a character, so everything turned into a cartoon. Well, was, was, it, was it a taxi, though? Yeah. It's it a yellow, the yellow cab. He was a taxi driver. Yeah. He picked up Wait, so it. the one that actually had the little small seat that sat in front of the seat? You know, the, the one from the taxi, you know, the, the show Taxi, they used, yeah. used to have those cars. Yeah, yeah that one. The Literally that same. The boxy square, yes. the old. Little tail thing. in the back. Tail in the back. All right, we're going to have to show that. We'll, it was like, well, a, the audience, like, a, like a Chevy Bel Air type of. Yeah, it looks like an old. Yeah, old, 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 old. Yes. It wasn't the 80s. It was from. Yeah. Like, yeah. The actual checkered cabs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the checkered cabs. Yeah, checkered yeah cabs. one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. But that, but that wasn't the time where people had checkered cabs anymore. He had it. That's amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything turned into a cartoon the second I landed. Really? What yeah. happened? Like just uh, massive bridges and yeah. the tunnel. And I hear him talking to my dad in Arabic. He's like, oh, we're going to go under the water now. Not, I, there was no concept of under the water tunnels for a five and a half year old coming out of Lebanon. Right. So like you can picture fast forward to the cartoon uh, SpongeBob. Right. Where people <laughs> just exist under the water. So I'm trying to find out how this car is going to go through the water without uh, the water coming in and us drowning and suffocating. So everything turned into a cartoon the first couple That's, hours. Those here. are some very vivid memories. Yeah. And you were five? Five and a half. Wow. Yeah. And what was your, when you were told you were going to be li- leaving Beirut and coming to the United States, I knew you stopped in London, but when you heard United States, what? I w- didn't even know. Oh, yeah. We just landed in the US, right? right? So at that point. I didn't have much geography. I knew about London because right. I had gone to London a few times with my father. Oh, you had? Yeah, okay. we had gone to London. Um, we had gone to Romania. We traveled parts of Europe. We were familiar with that. Even yeah. I have vivid memories before I was five, probably more vivid than my last couple of years. <laughs> so. So judge, judging by uh, the way you hang out, I'm not surprised. Oh, stop. <laughs> um, so you, you moved to the United States with your family. What was it like? Assimilating wasn't too tough. Um, you know, it was, Lebanon was still somewhat advanced in the way of life. Um, actually, by the time I got here, I was already a fan of, as a five-and-a-half-year-old kid, I was like, I was already watching Dukes of Hazard back in Lebanon, Knight Rider. Yeah. Um, those were my two favorite shows. Knight Rider, like Dukes of Hazard, not yes. so much. And I already, like, my favorite song was Eye of the Tiger already as that, yeah, at that ba- age. Rocky, yeah. Yeah, and actually, um, my first, couple of months in the elementary school they put me in fifth grade first i was supposed to, by then i was six and they gave me like a couple you were six they put you in fifth grade no first grade first, uh, uh, they would put me in kindergarten i'm sorry yeah they put me in kindergarten and i was supposed to be in first grade for that age and they told my dad we'll check him out for a couple of weeks we'll see if he can speak english um and lo and behold like the first show and tell everyone's bringing in toys and i brought in a tape recorder and my uncles and I, we knew I wasn't coming back so f- so soon, and they put together a cassette with a bunch of songs from like all over the world at the time that we recorded, and I of the Tiger was one of them. Yeah. I still have that cassette. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I brought it into show and tell. And, a- and from there, they were like, he's got to go back to North Yeah, like, send your kid back. <laughs> like, forget about first grade. <laughs> go back to Lebanon. <laughs> no, it's funny, because I, I had this thing where my whole family knew this as a kid. I would, as a song, you know, the song has the, the, the build-up to it, right, yeah. before it drops. So I used to get on top of the couches and just 
quietly let the song build me up. You got on the couch. You see, you still do that. So I, I, <laughs> I, I, I even offered my teacher. I'm like, listen, I said it to her. I'm like, I usually go on the couch, but I can dance on the desk if you want. <laughs> She's like, no, Mohammed, thank you. It's okay. This is good enough for us. That was it. So that was, that was my so first. So when, when did you actually pick up English? Um, in Lebanon. Oh, we you were, did? I was already in preschool over there. I had some um, introduction to it. I, like I said, I was watching Tom and Jerry, yeah, yeah, Dukes yeah. of Hazzard, Knight Rider, and, and my dad's father. I used to go to my dad's uh, office a lot where he would set up stuff for his uh, business, and my uncle, his, his youngest brother would be there, and uh, I would actually sit down with him and read like English letters and books and stuff like with them, like, you know, starter stuff, but gotcha. it, it, it did me well. So I didn't find myself having trouble adjusting. At all? Uh, no, Culturally, and, then, and then the area we moved to was move a good, to? we moved to North Bergen oh, from day well, one. Yeah. Okay. So it was already mixed with like all kinds of cultures, Arabic, Italian, Cuban. Yeah, I didn't know there was a, a large, large-ish Arabic culture there. There was a block um, where like in the 70s, between 70th and uh, maybe about 76 was maybe every third house was an Arabic family. So, so did that you have a built-in community already? It was, yeah, but they weren't, they, most of them were not, they were Palestinian, yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah. But still, there's some form of comfort zone at that point, right? Is the Palestinian Arabic and Lebanese Arabic similar? I mean, just like with a bunch of different Latin countries, there's a little bit of, you know, right. that variation. But it's not like Moroccan Arabic versus no, Lebanese Arabic. It's a little, Lebanese Arabic to me is a little neutral. You can kind of um, flex to an accent of any other Arabic, mm -hmm. whereas I feel like the other Arabic don't have that versatility to be able to Because when we were in Morocco over. for the first outsider's destination trip ever, you had a hard time communicating with them in Arabic. Well, whenever they're, they're throwing the French words in there, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I took French in high school, but <laughs> I did well when it's reading and writing, but not when it came to dialogue. Cool just story, bro. didn't sound good on me. <laughs> <laughs> I told my teacher, just let me pass my senior year in, in uh, French. I already passed the first three years in reading and writing. Dialogue was not going to so, work for um, me. So what did you see, or what did you want to be when you were a kid? Interesting. That's a nice crack. Yeah, nice. you should have uh, well, I have mine crack, crack right here. I got, I got to crack that. Can't be both drinking at the same time. Answer my fucking question. <laughs> Um, as a kid, I, I don't remember really having an actual dream to be something. You know, I do remember my father um, always busting his ass. You know, um, he was a businessman in um, in Lebanon. Built he he came from a second grade education, so he was self built. And I just remember when we came here, he did whatever he had to do to keep a roof over our head. So I remember someone just kind of being able to wear different hats. Um, humble himself immediately from going from a businessman to taking a job at a supermarket. Um, that didn't last too long, but in the beginning he was doing whatever he had to do in yeah. there. Um, then um, his next gig was uh, working a coffee stand down by Wall Street. And really? he was out at 4 o'clock in the morning <sighs> and back home around 3. Yeah. Um, cold winters, hot summers. Mm -hmm. um, so I just remember him... Always being there and and uh, making sure that whatever you had to do to put food on the table. So that was something that was what was my foundation. It wasn't about dreaming. It was like, mm -hmm. oh, here's this is what you got to do when you become an adult. You got to always yeah. hustle. You know? And that's ingrained in you. I, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen not only that, but the fact that you 
you support your whole family too. Like you saw that and you, you saw, I think probably seeing your dad work that hard, you didn't want to see him doing that into the old age, right? No. So I actually kind of uh, forced him into retirement um, probably a little earlier than he wanted to. And I took over the role of some financial responsibilities, but I thought he paid his dues already. How much more was he going to keep paying? Right. So at that point, you know, some people are like, oh, that's not your responsibility. I'm like, it is. Yeah. You know, um, he sacrificed what he had to sacrifice for me to get the tools that I got. Yeah. Right. And um, I had a smoother ride than he did when he was younger. Yeah. So he's going to keep suffering his whole life or, you know, so I was like, got to take a shift. You know, it's, it's funny. Uh, on Instagram, we send each other videos. And I send you like Persian parents things. You send me Arab parents things. It's very similar. But did your parents ever push you to be like a doctor, engineer, lawyer, anything like that? They pushed me to take French more than anything, man, in high school. That's that old school Lebanese. That. That's the old school Lebanese uh, culture because uh, Beirut was the Paris of the Middle East, right? Yeah. And when I went there, I actually expected to hear more French, but apparently that was more the case in like the 80s and 70s. Uh, but I still heard people say bonsoir. Like when they, oh, no, into, yeah. they speak just as much French as they do Arabic. Not, not so much anymore. I hear more English. I heard more English when I went Maybe there. Maybe they were trying to impress you. That's no, I heard people speaking. In general. I still heard French too, but it, I, I would assume you know, I thought it'd be a little more like not as much as Morocco, but a little close to that. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it depends which area too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was high school like? Did you rebel a bunch? Or, I mean, you don't seem like one to rebel at all, but you definitely partied. High school? Yeah. No. Really? I was, I, like I had my crew. Yeah. I had two sets of crews, crews from the high school, um, and they were a subtle crew. What high school did you go to? Uh, North Bergen High School. Okay. Um, and then I had um, an, a, another crew that I, from guys that I met in private school, so I went to private school as well. Which one? Uh, I went to Al-Ghazali School. It's a Muslim school in Jersey City on Montgomery. Really? Really got on that area. High school or? No, elementary school. Really? So, um, that was, I think, uh, second, third, and fourth grade. So I did one one year in McKinley School. Was that your North first Bergen. time doing a, a Muslim school? You didn't do Muslim school in, in Lebanon, Lebanon. Actually, my preschool was uh, probably more affiliated with the church. Right, because there's a huge uh, Catholic population in, in Lebanon. About half. Yeah. People assume because the Middle East is like a Muslim country, but it's yeah. it's nice mix, of yeah. like half and half. So, so there's friends that I met um, in the private school that are still friends today. Mm -hmm. It's almost like 40 years at this point. Yeah. Uh, we've been through a lot. And then those friends met a lot of my element from my non-Muslim school friends. They ended up meeting each other in one way, one capacity or another. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, sin free, sometimes not. But <laughs> what uh, you mean sin free? Like you know, sometimes <laughs> over a party, sometimes over a football game. Right. Or right. Um, pick up basketball. So and they carried into college. And um, there's there's probably about 40 40 friends that I've known for about that long now that still around each other. I got a question for you. So a lot of my Muslim friends, you know, none of them will eat pork. I say almost none of them, but they'll drink and they'll have sex. How do you choose what you're going to do that's a sin or not? Yeah, so I think it's funny how that gets brought up a lot. And I don't know if you guys want to have this as a conversation for this long, but um, what you put in your body also makes a difference, right? And um, when you look at other animals that you eat for protein, such as cows, lamb, or sheep, um, they eat, they graze on grass. Um, they don't eat their own kind. They don't eat um, no, I meats, right? I, I understand so that. That's what I'm saying. It's, it what about alcohol? Easy. Well, I would say with alcohol, it's a choice. 
right? So, it was but pork, it was I guess. no, but, but pork, but no, but in religiously speaking, all three religions at one point or another brought up swine is not not accepted. Even Alcohol ca- was accepted. In the even Catholics, of yeah. Even Catholics, too. I didn't know that. Yeah, we I don't. mean, put it this way: uh, my uncle, he, uh, my dad's side, Persian side, he. Uh, he doesn't believe we should follow the rules of things that were written 3,000 years ago because things evolve, things change. Yeah. So, hey, what's up, Chris? You're making an appearance. Look at this. <laughs> that's like the fourth or fifth uh, time he's made an appearance. Yeah, but that's why I was going into what I was explaining to you. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily about the age of it, right? You sit down and you could put things on a religious level and you could put things on some logical level, right? And you could break that down. Yeah. So when you look at the anatomy of a pig, it's one of the closest to a human being. So then I can start relating it to cannibalism. Maybe that's why all three religions said no at one point, right? Hmm. Um, if you look at it from, uh, like I said, the diet aspect, maybe for me it was easier choice to go that route and not that route because I'm seeing a pig eat a pig. I'm seeing a pig yeah, eat pigs other meat. will eat anything. They will yeah, eat, eat anything. anything. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe there's a reason why, right? And if you want to tie it back into a biblical sense with the other two elements that I brought up to you. Uh, well, you look at it this way, if we all believe in one form or another, some kind of divine powers or interventions, maybe it was a cursed group. And maybe that's why God said, don't eat this, mm-hmm. right? And maybe that's why their anatomy is the closest to human. You hear a lot of um, testing for different organs from pigs to be assimilated into a human being, Yeah. right? So is it a form of cannibalism? Is it a form of the diet that the pig eats, is it a form that there was a cursed group? All that added up, that's an easy one to... <laughs> I was gonna say, I that's know an lot, easy one to pass on, you know? I know a handful of Palestinians who yeah. like to... No matter what you eat, everybody... No matter what you eat, everybody has sex. That's, right. There's no one that's right. saying... Like, For all premarital sex. Yeah, right, well, yeah. The, well, that goes with every religion too, right? Yeah. Like, premarital sex is not to be accepted in um, Christianity and, and Catholicism and Judaism. It's basically it, everywhere. It, no. You might want to brush up on some of your religion. <laughs> I'm not religious. I, I, I am not religious. So I'm answering. Well, I'm, I'm just asking. I'm enlightening you with all the lights that we have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is gonna be a problem with him. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. So, and I, we just talked about high school. Uh, what school did you go to for college? Uh, Rutgers University. Good old Rutgers, New Brunswick. Uh, yes. Shout out to the Fat Cat Trucks, which I heard are no longer there. Uh, because now it's being it's been replaced by a twenty story residential building for students. Of course, you would know that. Yeah. But w- there's no other parking lot or a place they can have these fat cat it trucks. It was just prime real estate, man. Well, didn't yeah. the original fat cat guy open up an, like an there's actual a few street stores? Shop. Yeah, still they on, actually. Yeah, but that was street. before I even graduated. They yeah. already had really. They already had stores that storefronts that had them too. So mm. some of the storefronts were extensions of the trucks. For those who don't know, want to explain what a fat cat truck is? A fat cat truck was a truck that had hoagie bread, basically, with double patties of uh, meat, right? We'll call it a burger. Um, but then they also <laughs> had uh, any kind of combination you wanted, depending how sober or not sober uh-huh. you were. And through fries in there. Sticks, and through, yeah. Chicken patties. Whatever was fried, basically. Whatever right? was available that could be chewed could th- be thrown in there and just throw a name into it. Yeah. Fat <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fat, yeah, fat, fat Cafe, moves. Fat yeah. Bitty. Yeah. And I guess depending, like, whoever was ordering that day, if they put something together, they would name it after that, dr- that person. Um, so that was a sight to see. I would say freshman year, I was, my body was able to digest two of those per day. Oof. Sophomore year. Really? I two? I couldn't have one. Really? Sophomore year. Probably my body was already like, oh, enough. 
probably used to have like 2,000 calories for lunch. Oh, easily. Those things probably, they probably hit like 5,000 calories. Yeah, yeah. Easy, <laughs> easy. That's a very, it's a very Rutgers, a very Jersey thing. It's like, that's Jersey culture, especially like coming of age. Like everyone who's been, I think everyone from Jersey's partied in Rutgers at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rutgers was a great <clears throat> experience. So you said earlier, like did my parents push certain professional yeah. like aspects? Yeah, of course. Every parent would well, like, become you a do. doctor, an right. engineer, what have you. I started out with an intention <coughs> to become um, an eye surgeon. Really? In the beginning, yeah. So I had a bio major psych minor set up. That's, that's actually my, my studies when I first, uh, I wasn't trying to be a surgeon. I was going to be a physiotherapist, but I was originally a biology major and a psychology minor. Were you? Yeah. So that's how I started. Look at that. And then I switched it up. What did you like, switch it to? Huh? What did you switch it to? Uh, I just flipped them. Oh, so you, you majored in psychology? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I'm a psych major and a bio minor. I changed. I went to uh, media studies, communications. So, well, that's why you're interviewing me, and that's why I'm answering you. There you go. <laughs> what a jerk. <laughs> uh, what? So, when you you wanted to be a psychologist or a shrinker? No, to me, it was like um, I think when I came to the culmination that I'm not going to med school, um, and I also why not? Why did you it was a combination no of like I think I had to really dedicate myself to my studies for the next X number of years. Um, I also saw my father, like I said, my father paying attention to my dad um, and the hours and that he was putting into. And I felt like by the time I probably accomplished what I wanted to accomplish, how difficult were things going to be for the rest of my family? And um, between that and not really being into it anymore. Right. Um, I would say that's probably the biggest factor. Right? Yeah. I mean, look, the reason why I even want to become an eye surgeon, because when I was younger in, in, in Lebanon, I had a cousin close to my age that had some problems with his eyes, and he went through a couple of surgeries, and he ended up going blind. So I mm. thought maybe I should learn to help others, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, when I said uh, it's not going to happen, the point at that point was entrepreneur and what was going to be the fastest ticket out and still get my degree. And it was not adding on more majors or minors right. or any of that. It was just flipped them. So when you graduated with a psychology degree, what, what did you do out of school? Um, believe it or not, I wanted to just graduate. I didn't have any intention to. I mean, I think I learned a lot in terms of structurally being able to go through college. Um, so at that point, it's more about being applied. Those skills can be applied to anything. Um, I was also a founding father at a pretty to what today is a pretty popular fraternity down there, Delta Chi. So I wasn't expecting for myself to be a fraternity member, but it wasn't chartered at the school yet. What uh, kind of frat was it? So that's why I'm going going into that. So it was so a lot of fraternities <laughs> down there, a lot of the fraternities down there were kind of like one kind, mm -hmm. either um, let's say Latin or right. what, what have you. Yeah. Um, whereas when my friends came to me, a lot of them were from my elementary and high school days and we were going to school like together there anyway. And when they first approached me, I was like, nah, man, I don't need this stuff. And I don't need someone to go give me a hard time to belong to something and what have you. And then we thought of it further and we thought we can apply the way the dynamic of our friendships were and our conducts and our morals, as much as we love to have fun. We do have a strong moral compass, and we ended up understanding that we were going to be the core foundation. And what was good about that is it was um, a very diverse group of people from day one. So it automatically started being a magnet for 
for other, um, what do you call it, um, other students like um, to come into us and be comfortable, right? We weren't about the hazing and stuff like that. There was responsibilities and accountability, but we weren't about doing things that were going to separate you from your family, don't talk to them for three months. Or yeah. I wasn't about that stuff. And um, first thing I told somebody, I was like, someone's going to try to get in my face, I'm going to punch them right in the face. So <laughs> it's not going to work. So what, what That's we... That's a Jersey mentality right there. What we, what we decided was we're going to create a diverse fraternity, which um, allowed a lot of great memories, a lot of good times, a lot of laughs. Um, it was a very humble group. And it was cool because as the younger guys came in through the years, they kind of fell in line with understanding the diversity aspect of what it was. So there's all kinds of stuff you could tie to the stigma of fraternities. But one thing for sure, we were diverse in every culture, race, and religion. I mean, and dude, I love I that. totally and, respect that yeah. because that's one of our missions as outsiders. Yeah. And every time I go back, that's all I look to see. Like whenever there's an alumni dinner, I go back every couple of years, check them out. I just want to see that's still diverse. And it still is? It is. Amazing. Yeah. What did you do out of college, though? Um, so when I graduated was when the NASDAQ crashed, right? 2001 tech crash. Mm -hmm. um, I had already had like a biotech job lined up and um, that got taken away before I even graduated because of the crash. And my dad's um, friend was always on me to get my real estate license and get in the game. Um, and I actually took a temporary job at the time working for a marketing company up by the Alpine area in New Jersey um, for Takasako Inc., which was um, a company that was doing marketing for, comp for like Lever, you know, all the different detergents, soaps, yeah. stuff like that. And it was $25 an hour, which back then kind of equated to a $50,000 salary. It wasn't too bad coming out of college in 01. Um, but I kind of saw after taxes and XYZ, what's left over. And then I asked for a day off to um, attend my sister's eighth grade graduation, my sister Iman, and they gave me a hard time about it. And that was probably one of the last times that I thought I'm going to have a real boss. Yeah. Right. So um, got my real estate license. Well, I went to real estate school, passed the school test, 9-11 happened. Oh, my God. And then I'm like, I don't think anyone's going to buy a fucking house. <laughs> 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 right. You know, we're already doing all the like the world, the country has to do its own recovery. We have yeah. to do our recovery. We were local to this. Yeah. Um, it's funny how we found out about 9-11. My my aunt in Lebanon saw it on the news before us because, you know, I had just moved back home from college. My brother's responsible for taking the, my sisters to their school and he was being lazy that morning and he said something silly to my parents and I got in his face about it. And then got my mom running right between us. Oh, put it on TV. Your aunt just called. A plane just hit a building. What? And then turn it on. It was the most surreal thing I've ever seen yeah. in my life. While I was watching it, that's when the plane, the second plane came. And I was like, I'm not really worried about what I'm going to do for a living at this point. Got to see what's happening to the world and, this, and, and, right. and us. Um, when it subsided a little bit, I went back and took my state test. That was in October. Um, within a few months... You know, I, when I first walked into the real estate office, I saw a stack of uh, contracts and I asked the accounting office what that was for. And they said these were dead deals because they couldn't get the mortgages. So I already registered in my head, no finance, no transaction. Right. Most people don't have the cash to buy everything. It stuck in my head. And then I met a loan officer that was 
pitching their business. Had you started real estate? Did you even start real estate or not? At that point? Yeah. Well, I got li- I stepped into the office. I was licensed at that point. So I was showing properties and stuff oh, like you that. Were yeah, I was. Priced. All right. Yeah. So I was already like seeing my temperament around someone saying, oh, I like the bathroom in this house and the kitchen in that house and the bedroom in this one. And I'm like, you know. <laughs> I- I'll tell you what, I always loved the architecture. Right. I always loved interior design. Um, so that was cool to see. But then my father wanted to refinance our home at the time. And I met a loan officer that I took to my dad to refinance the house. During that process, I learned about how mortgages work. And you understand, especially from day one when those deals were dead because the loans didn't go through, that that's the horsepower of real estate, the finance. Yeah. Um, and I took a liking to it. It's numbers related. I love numbers. And I remember, you know, telling that person, hey, maybe I want to try this. So what, what we did is refinance a couple of people that I knew um, with you know, the guidance of the owners of the business at the time. And I remember the first closing I did, I got a check that equaled a lot of the checks that I had to do when I was at that temporary marketing. And this check reminded me of my refund check at college, right? Okay. You get the student loan, the grants, um, and then... You're left over two, three thousand dollars at the end of at the beginning of each semester, right? So that was my first check. It was like twenty eight hundred bucks. I was like, oh, I can get a refund check every time I close one of these things. Mm-hmm. So that lit me up. And um, what I did was I learned about alternative lenders, and I went back and told the uh, the accounting office at the real estate company, let me see if I can revive those dead deals, um, and then contact you know the real estate agents. Spoke to me, I got the information of those borrowers, and I was able to revive like four or five of those deals within like a span of about four months. Mm-hmm. Closed them and got a nice taste of it, and I was just lit at that point. Um, now, at that point, I had a choice to either grow vertical by myself, but I already liked the idea of, you know, coming from a fraternity background, growing up as, a, you know, even just leadership roles with my friends and, and my family. I liked the idea of teaching more people, the industry, and let's grow sideways before we go forward. So did you start your own business then? No, I was uh, under the branch license, so they let me run my own branch office immediately. That's when I met you, right? Yes. How soon after did I meet you? No, it was by the time you met me, I was already running my own show. How long? Under the it? license of the company that I was like. How long had it been? Uh, Probably a year. Really? Yeah, because what happened was um, the the own the office partner, which was the wife of the main founder of the company um, started having a problem with me being able to pay my regular office fees and get the value of getting the loans, not really losing sight that I was reviving dead deals. She's like, Oh, some other loan officers from different companies want to pay a lot more than you for the desk space. And I thought it was just going to be awkward because she knew me as a kid. And I'm like, dude, let me just get on my feet. Um, And after she had promised me X, Y, Z anyway, as a real estate agent, that didn't go through. So I was like, just leave me alone. Let me, and she stayed on it. And then one day I just decided to go and rent my own office um, right across the street of my sister's elementary school, Zana, um, in Fairview. That's when I started recruiting um, people that were around my age or like yeah. some of my friends started reaching out to me. Hey, can you teach me? Um, that's how we met, right? Yeah. I was teaching other people the, the business. There's probably about 20 people today. are all making about 150, 200 Gs a year from, from the school of Mohammed Hadla. <laughs> um, 
And that's, that's something that I really appreciate. Um, I mean, the way you say it sounds cocky, but the fact is it's truth and you wanted to help these people. So it was I intentional because it sounds like you, but you, you chose to, to be. It actually made life harder for me because I was making so much more money, less effort. When now I have to, if I have 15 people asking me five questions a day, do the numbers at 75 questions, right? Yeah. And that's not even dealing with my own clients. And I'm showing and I'm teaching. So now I'm doing all that and I have the expenses. So I'm making less money and working more. But I didn't mind it I, at that point, especially. Um, and, you know, these people are lifelong friends now, too. So yeah, that's that was cool to see. And we met. That's how we met, too, right? Yeah. So a lot came out of it. And uh, we kept in touch. We, you start when I was doing nightlife. You'd come out to some parties, support this New Year stuff, and then uh, our and first. I would, I would tell you, I would like Jeremy. I like what you're doing, but this is not the lifestyle that you can make long-term success with. And I want you to think of other ways to use your network. And meanwhile, he's telling me this out of love, but in my mind, I'm already, I already knew this. I'm stressing and putting so much pressure on myself. And then I hear him say it, and I'm like, "Shut your fucking mouth! <laughs> <laughs> go hit on a girl. Don't talk to me about this." You're over there. She wants to get harassed by you. Yeah, go get out of here. <laughs> Why are you trying to be all real and but, shit right now? <laughs> but I mean, it was the truth. It was the truth. You, you, you wanted to reaffirm that that was my vision as well and of course it was right like, there's no way i want to stay in that business i but the reason why i even brought it up to you because you never struck me as a party animal to begin with like you were never like drunk or like, no. drinking like an animal you were very responsible in everything that you did yeah um so i saw you as a businessman yeah and that's why i said let's apply these skills to everything that you're doing now yeah right? and it's just the beginning so exactly proud of you appreciate that brother appreciate it um so you didn't you didn't stay in this business. Um, you well, I was doing well. Um, I ended up, uh, you know, opening up. I moved. I I ended up uh, opening up a real estate office on top of that. Yeah. So I had a mortgage office and a real estate office, and we were pumping out deals to create like a vacuum of reciprocation back and forth. And um, I, life was going well for me in the 2006. Um, did a nice Euro trip at the time, too. I uh, went to some of my childhood friends. We did uh, Rome, Munich, Amsterdam, London. One of the best trips of my life. Came back. Within two months of coming back, I blew out my knee. Mm -hmm. And um, after that, I kind of got used to it, but I had a surgery scheduled. And January of 07 was the surgery that doctors were like, you'd be walking in two months. It took me about three, four months to learn how to walk again. But m more importantly... Wasn't there a big housing market crash <laughs> like a year later? Yeah, I was building up to it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we, 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 I, I'm, things are going well for me. Um, well, it was interesting when this happened because I was stressed out over, I have like 30 people reporting to me, one in real estate, um, one in residential lending, and then I had staff members too. So... What was cool is it wasn't running at the full capacity I would have liked it to run, but it was running itself. So I really liked what I was seeing. So even though we might have been coming up a little short every month, I saw it start running itself. So I was like, wow, I can expand this into different locations. Um, but it, that recovery period of learning how to walk again was very tough. And by the time I got back... Um, it was about four months later, I would say like April, May of 07. 
Um, you know, we were in the red maybe about 40 grand, which wasn't bad to me. In my opinion, I was like, we can knock this out in a month. And we probably had the largest loan application month, the month that I got back. Within two months of that, the bank crash took place, middle of 07. Mm -hmm. And it was so surreal because it's like Washington Mutual, over 100 years old, talking to the underwriter about a file on a Tuesday, Thursday. There's not even a website. It's gone. What? That's that's how it went? Just like that. Gone. Just shut down. All these different banks shutting down one after another on the spot. Yeah. As you saw what happened recently, SVB Bank. Yeah. They were gone in overnight. Yeah. The S- signature uh, bank. Silicon, Va- Silicon Valley joint you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. But look what it did. The ripple effects it caused for Signature Bank yeah. um, and um, First Republic, right? Yeah. See the hostile takeover that when that JP Morgan took them over. Um, that's how easy it is in banking. Once you can't hit a certain threshold, you're gone. Yeah. Um, and trickles all the way down, that kind of So concept. what'd you do? Um, I didn't think it was going to last forever. So I went out and took like a $100,000 business line to keep my leases open, to keep my staff running. Uh, about 50000 I think, in the beginning. Um, and then I realized this shit wasn't going to recover quick enough. Right. So now I have to go back and start talking to the landlords that owned the offices that I was renting and... Uh, Worked my way out of these leases without it becoming such a legal matter. They were very nice to me about it. I was always paying on time. As a matter of fact, one of them um, from the, that where I had my uh, 8901 Kennedy, um, that client, we remained in touch through the years, and I just closed a commercial real estate loan for him. Um, Wait, so, but more and I'll circle you, back to that. Yeah, you also go back to that. him, yeah. Yeah, um, I'll circle back to that. So um, the interesting part about that is when it doesn't come back, so soon, now you got to borrow money to exit. So back then, I'm like all paranoid about the idea of bankruptcy and all this kind of stuff. Learning what I learned through the years, I would have bankrupted the shit out of everything and kept my mental status in yeah. good shape, right? So instead, I go and I'm trying to carry all this debt. I actually was one of the few that continued producing um, in, the, in the business. So for the next, I shut down the companies, but for the next year... Um, I was working at a bank that opened up a brokerage arm that allowed me to close these loans. And um, then they were about to cut it down. But in the meantime, I was still making decent money, but everything was going towards my payments, towards my debt. Oh, wow. So, but, but, uh, which I should have never done, right? But you learn, yeah. you live and you learn. So, what were, you, what were you doing for yourself while you're going crazy to, to like, you know, relieve stress. Well, well, again, I think I come battle tested from day one, right? Like coming from Lebanon, from the Civil War, watching what my father went up with through his ups and downs. You learn to, exp- and even when reading about history, empires come up, empires come down, right? So life is ups and downs. That's the bottom line. And, and okay I was able to accept it. it. I, d- I didn't. You've never had. You never had an issue where you felt like you had to force the direction you always went with the flow i always felt things would work themselves out i just gotta keep my shit together in here yeah that's really what it is that's a great approach perseverance um and having faith you know that things are gonna work out yeah um you know we all go down sometimes and sometimes we have our down moments and and but i have a rule like i'm not allowed to sulk in the moment more than a couple hours really not a couple days not a couple months you know gotta 
pick up and find a solution. No matter what the solution, what, what the reason is? Yeah. Like a death or... I mean, anything. as you get older, you learn more to control and handle everything, right? So it's like I wouldn't say control. I say managing managing it is probably a healthier way. Yeah, yeah. But to me, you learn that life is sensitive, life is precious, but then we're significant and insignificant at the same time, right? right. Like we all become dust at one point or another. Um, and how many have already gone through and become dust, gone through life and become dust? And those people, how many laughs did they have? How many cries? Well, how did you get have? this perspective? Um, it's a combination of things, right? Um, I think p the way I'm describing it right now, I remember one time I was driving down, the, I was in the backseat of a car on the turnpike, and I turned around, and I see the New York skyline as we were heading south. And I picked up my hand, and I put up my thumb, and my thumb covered the entire skyline, right? And it just kind of put things into perspective about relativity and, and um, proximity and how things matter and don't matter. You know, it's pretty deep, man. I, I mean, I can see that. Right. And and to me, I, what I learned is the most important thing to me is is taking care of it's coaching myself through life. That's literally what I've been doing my entire life, coaching myself through life. What do you mean by coaching yourself? Through like life? I'm having my own conversations about a moment and how do I get through it? How do I overcome it? How do I not get caught up in the moment? When you speak, when you speak to yourself and coach, are you actually speaking out loud? I would say 99% of the time it's... Yeah, mental shatter. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I mean, it's a way to problem solve, right? That's, you know, you got to... Life is good at the end of the day. Like, it goes through the challenges, but if yeah. you keep yourself in good shape, you keep yourself in good health, um, w the recovery is not as difficult. Right. You know, if, if... Here's the way you look at it, right? Even when people, sometimes they break up from a relationship and... They'll go and start having a lousy lifestyle, partying up a shitstorm, spending their money doing dumb things, strip clubs, drugs, all this kind of shit. Um, and then even if they find someone new in their life that might be good for them, they got to clean up their act. They mm -hmm. got to recover. They got to fix up their lifestyle again and get back to a form of like a more decent being. And that takes time. Yeah. So why go down that route? You just this way, instead of doing all this extra work you got to do to get back on track, you just got to localize the problem and know that if I can fix my finances, the rest of me is good. Right. I mean, that's that's usually for things like finances and, and career stuff. Even even in relationships, because you want to be the best that you can be in the next relationship that walks in the door. Not, oh, I agree. Wait, give me five months to fix my shit because I s had a lousy lifestyle the last year after I broke up. Oh, for sure. I mean, I people think, do it all the time. I think you and I operate the same way. I mean, this is for whether it's uh, a negative, like a breakup or, or a career thing. For me, almost I want to improve myself so much more or less to like prove others wrong in a way or just prove stuff to myself, you know? Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I don't like to sulk or... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like to let myself down. But I also I'm still, but there's also there's, you still need to feel what you feel sometimes too, though. There's, yeah, of course. Yeah. Listen, you're gonna get caught up in your moments. Yeah, and no, that does that's we're not perfect, right? And we're right. not made out of steel, and right. we are emotional human beings. All of us are, but still, don't let your emotions get the best out of you. Right. I like to embrace problems. See, a lot of times people want to avoid the problem. The problem gets bigger. It gets heavier. It weighs on them. For me, it's like I embrace it as a guest. You're leaving soon. Right. Yeah. Man, that's uh I gotta adopt some of these uh 
these ways of thinking for sure. You know, you know, you can internalize a problem and let it become a cancer, yeah. right? You can let it become toxic waste in your body, or you can maybe let it linger around you and put a force field so it doesn't enter you. You know, you got to get to it. Yeah. But it's not going to digest. I got some things off camera that I'd love to get your opinion on. You know where to find me. I know where to find you, buddy. Don't worry. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, nah, I like I like this tangent. That was really good. Um, so we talked about your career. Uh, you're now on another level, but you're still in the same industry. Yes. So we, don't, we don't have to go into detail. No, but I'll give you. So there was a little journey before I even I got. So it's interesting because um, during all this turmoil, the market also affected my dad's business. Right. And he was putting in 60 hours a week of working at his grocery store, Middle Eastern products in West New York. Right. Mm. And while I'm trying to repiece myself, I'm also from the corner of my eye watching that my dad's pumping in hours and losing money because everything got affected when the housing market crashed. How everyone spent their money yeah. made a difference, right? So It's similar to the way COVID yeah. affected us. So I had ways of recovering quicker if I was selfish, but like I had offers to go in the city, get property management positions or things still related to real estate when things really hit the fan at that point. Um, and I just pictured myself like, all right, I'm wearing a suit, walking around um, after five o'clock to happy hour, having a good time. And my old man is at the store till midnight to only come up 5,000 negative after all the expenses. Right. Yeah. So I was like, I get him out of here. And otherwise, if he ends up getting like, you know, sick or dies in this role, I would never forgive myself. So I actually took my suit off. And went into the store for about a year. Really? Yeah, in 2009. 2009, I spent the entire year, like, they were trying to push a ca like a hookah cafe in addition to the store. And they had a partner, and I wasn't a big fan of the partner. I thought he was going to try to give my dad more mental headaches, even though they considered themselves good friends. And so I, put, I, pu I was pumping in hours just to kind of help things um, balance out while my intention were to get my father out of there by the end of the year. So he had debt owed for some business elements regarding people. I want to make sure that I got paid back anything regarding like institutional That's By then I already learned the bankruptcy policy. Mm -hmm. I go up to my father. I'm like, you've been paying your bills on time for your entire life. You're going to go right now and get a heart attack for a piece of property that's still going to be here after we're all gone. I'm like, this is where in America when you do things right, you exercise your right for bankruptcy. So that was step one took me about a year um, to clean things up and get my dad out of there where the person bought him out enough to cover the personal stuff. Um, and then I went back into residential lending, but this time Chase in Midtown. Mm -hmm. So that's the new phase. Uh, that's when we, we reconnected. Yeah. You know, some nice parties yeah. after work, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays. Uh, <laughs> But um, but what do you call it? Uh, that was a great experience too, because now I was adding. Um, I was I, so I did it backwards, right? Right out of college, entrepreneur, right? Now I'm getting the corporate polish, and yeah, maybe Chase could be different in certain places. But Chase in Midtown, working on residential loans for people that own businesses and own all these condos and co-ops in New York City, and those people think that their shit don't stink. Not all of them deservedly so. But I understand where they were coming from. Um, I had to take on a new battle in terms of being able to 
set expectations for people and solve their problems at the same time. A lot of self-employed people don't qualify for mortgages if you don't put the, pro the, Trust me, the loan together properly. Yeah. So I became an expert at that. Um, and I was doing well. I recovered pretty quickly. Um, when I never had a salary in my life outside of that, that first year out of college. Um, so even at Chase, we were 99% commission when you're a loan officer. Yeah. Um, so they took a liking. I didn't have the highest numbers, but I had the highest closing ratios and the highest like high net worth client um, ratings. And I was given an opportunity to go to uh, San Francisco to manage like eight branches in that area. Not the branches themselves, but the loan offices in each location. That could have tripled my income. And at the time, um, my sister was my sister that was a couple years younger than me was going through her divorce. My nephew was about one or two years old. Um, my brother was going through a, a mental health um, matter, which we can talk more today or another time on, uh, you know, maybe we can make a, a podcast strictly for, for mental health. We can come back to that. Um, and then, you know, we got my, my father was a certain age already, right? So how's he gonna relate with my nephew? So one of my main reasons why I declined the position was to stick around and be a role model for my nephew. Yeah. I think he had the right pieces in front of him at that time. And to also make sure I can try to guardrail my brother's situation and not let my family get destroyed in the process because mental health can destroy a community, not just a family or a person. Uh, can you share what he was battling with? Um, well, it's from my experience, mental health is gradual. It might start out with a mood swing or depression and the, the wrong lifestyle or the wrong medication can make it a lot exponentially worse. Yeah. And it could lead all the way to schizophrenia. Um, so that there was a whole gradual process in that, um, but I, you know, I felt like I had to stick. I felt like I did a time lapse in my head. Let me take this position. I'll go to San Fran. I'm gonna make three, four hundred thousand dollars. I'm gonna live it up. I'm gonna have a great time and come back to a broken family. I gotta rebuild. So yeah. I was like, fuck that. It's still New York City, right? Still the New York Yankees around the corner. I still had a boat with a couple of buddies of mine that we would go out in Hudson River all the time. Yeah. All the, there was so many reasons that I could have stayed outside of those responsibilities that I wanted to take on, but those two elements, my brother and my nephew, were absolutely the main reason I stayed. Um, and Fast was continued doing well, made a lot of good connections in the city, and probably by 2015, I was already starting to think, I, I'm, what else am I here for? Um, I'm not married with kids at the time. I'm not married with kids now, but even then I was like, I'm not going to wait till I'm 50 to pivot. Right. So I started gradually, I had an interaction with a client over like a hundred thousand dollar co-op and it was such a big fuss that they made. And I was like, what am I really doing at this point? Like, like I can't, like, it's great that I'm doing X, Y, Z in numbers, but am I here just for that? Or can I expand my ceiling? Let's talk about the pivot though. Let's, we don't have to talk about like the logistics and numbers and so on, but no, like I, I making a change in your career at what you're 38, 40? 39 probably. When That's I a scary choice. Super scary. Yeah. Super scary. And you're a grown man making decent money and now you're going to go flat to zero because you're yeah. going to completely. What motivated you to do that? That interaction with that client. I walked away from it telling myself, what else am I here for? I was like, I love architecture. I'm always at awe when I'm walking around New York City, construction and this and that. I was like, you know what? I got to figure out a way to like sell buildings. I got to figure out a way how to land on buildings. Maybe one day build buildings. Just started out with that. And within about a year, um, 
I was out of the, I was, I left the business, um, and I worked on a couple of house flips. So learned the elements and the annoyance nuances yeah. of some form of construction, and then um, started knocking on doors to community banks and said, "Here's my resume." So you started a whole new business, completely from scratch. Let me ask Didn't you: all this time spent with that helping your family, what did you do for yourself, like? Personally, obviously, I that's always, for yourself. That's I always, for yourself. Honestly. I always make sure I could take care of myself. I love to travel. Yeah. I love to have nice dinners. Um, I had a set of friends that have been around me my entire life, and we know how to lose ourselves amongst uh, each what, other. What about dating? We've had plenty of conversations about having a hard time finding. Uh, Are we going to talk about dating? I don't know if we want to talk too much about dating. It's a waste. <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> Well, we don't have to talk in specifics, but I mean, you I know, mean, yeah, we've, obviously we've there was some relationships that went on during yeah. that time. Um, you know, but do you find yourself uh, having the time, enough time to every every aspect of your life? You're you're obviously handling family. You're doing a great I th- job. I think I think what happens is, let's say you're in a situation where you don't have a relationship, right? You you can break down that spare time into more productive things anyway. Or you can do it the opposite, like I said a few minutes ago. Right, yeah. Right? So to me, it was like, let me pour it into, um, you know, a new business. Yeah. Let me pour it into, yeah, I'll be there for my family. And let me pour it into travel. And let me pour it into, I still have like a set of friends from the elementary days that they're married with kids. They have responsibilities. They've lost a parent or two. But when we get together, it doesn't matter what the fuck is going on in life. It's a roast show. And everybody's laughing that night. Mm-hmm. Those things are medicine. Well, that's community. You know, those, things are medicine. those things are medicine. Right. So, go ahead. It seemed like you had another question. Well, no, I, I'm going to go off of the list of questions now for oh, you. Oh, shit, you have a list of questions. I do. All right. Because I feel like we're hearing a lot about your life and, and career, but I want to know a little bit more about you as a person okay. outside of that. Because you're very concrete, number thinking, career, direction, goal, all that stuff. Which is I mean, listen, though, it's still being built. It's not like, oh, I'm like, I'm, I made it to a platform. I'm I know, I know it out. is. Yeah. And it'll always be Correct. built. Even when you achieve the goal, you're going to stop and restructure and try something else. Sure. I, I know your personality. Well, do me one favor. When you lean back like that, just bring, bring it with me. me. Yeah, bring yeah. it with me. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Um, <laughs> what are your goals and dreams? They change. Personal. They change. Currently. Stay healthy. Really, that's my number one goal. Stay healthy. Keep my sanity together as long as God's giving me that will. Um, and just continue going the, down the path where I'm at now with commercial real estate. I'm sorry. It's not necess- that is part of your life, right? Yeah. That is how you pay your bills and how you I'm travel. I'm not knocking you for No, no, no. I understand. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, it's, it's, at the end of the day, that's what we, make, what we do for a living does take up 60% of our life, if not, if not more, right? So these things are allowing me to continue to get to a certain lifestyle to be able to help, but to be able to enjoy my life, right? Yeah. What do I do? Outsiders. You post a trip that I love. Yeah. Hey, this is not... And you I came like on two this year. I'm, I'm, I, li- I, might, I might hit the third one. Which one, Rio? Yeah. We have yeah. Puerto Rico, too, but uh, Rio is more... I might hit Puerto Rico, too. Wait, hang on. Puerto Rico is an outsider trip? No, it's not outsiders. It's like an affiliation. It's not, it's, on, it's not posted. It's, trip. it's not posted. It'll be posted as soon as we lock in a couple other items. But it's oh. it's fat tire and outsiders together. Oh okay. Yeah. I didn't realize. I thought it was just a, like my, it might have been a, like a fat tire thing. I didn't realize. No, that. no. They reached out to us. They have distribution there now. Anyway, yes. Oh. Okay. This might air after that, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I appreciate you. You know, it's fun. Uh, some of these trips, I like when people that I know join as well. And uh, it was great to have you in Cape Town. It was great to have you in, in Sardinia, of course. Uh, also, most of our trips are predominantly female. So it's nice to have uh, a male friend there as well to, uh, you know, to, to share the experience with. Yeah, no, look, I'm proud to be there. Um, I also feel like I'm extra support for you. Um, and, you know, I'll try to see if I can give you some constructive criticism. As oh, yeah, he has no problem doing that. None. 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 So you got to do this. I'm like, yo, but it's, <laughs> tell hey, me I personally. Yeah, but honestly, don't you want friends like that? Absolutely. Exactly. No, actually, come on, man. They were all coming. Like, there was, we don't need to get too detailed about it, but it's, it was still selectively displayed. When it was. When I spoke I'm just giving you uh, a hard time. <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the day, I want to see my friend's company expand and grow, right? So yeah. if I can give a pointer or two that can, that maybe, because he, he's got so much responsibility, right? So I can give a pointer or two that can help solidify things and better the company and better yeah. the business. You know, oh, it's very I, I would say like a friend that doesn't tell another friend to have a cliffhanger in their nose is not <laughs> a good friend. <laughs> something in their teeth. A friend that doesn't tell someone they got a little bit of like some parsley in their teeth is not a good friend. You know what I mean? So uh, all right, here's another So there's some parsley on, on, on going on in the works. I can tell them about it. <laughs> That is a friend. Thank you. <laughs> uh, what advice would you give high school you? I have no regrets about high school. I was pretty to myself. But there's no so, advice. So, so it's interesting. High school, interesting dynamic. Everyone was partying and drinking and all this kind of shit. I had no interest in it at all. But a lot of those people were still my friends, and we hung out when it was sober moments. Um, I was around them when they were doing you know, dumb shit. But high school was fun. But I had a lot of moments in high school where I just want to come home and chill by myself. Yeah. Like as much as I am, I could be an extrovert, I could be just as an introvert as I am an extrovert. Okay. So um, what would I tell myself? Maybe get contact lenses so I could try to do better in sports because my glasses were like trying to see from the side of my eye. And I was fucking pretty blind back then because I did my eye surgery in like 2002. Um, that made a big difference. That's Other than that, hilarious advice to yourself. <laughs> But yeah. uh, I don't wear glasses, so I wouldn't know. Um, I did a good job staying away from bullshit in high school. Yeah, you seem to give a level head. Um, what's your favorite part of Outsiders? The people. The community, yeah, same people, for me. Um, diversity of people. I mean, I, it's, a lot of people have their shit together. They might be a little quirky, but um, who isn't sometimes, right? Yeah, um, but exactly. I, I like the experiences that come out of it, the culinary experiences that come out of it. I like that. It's centered around expanding your horizons when it comes to your international trips. I like that it's centered around expanding the knowledge of different beautiful places this country has to offer um, on a domestic level. Yeah. And I like the fact that you have a lot of local, you guys, I'm always pitching you guys, um, but a lot of local um, healthy trips, yeah. the canoeing, the rafting, the hiking, like yeah, maybe someone might smoke a joint and have a beer, but that's still a healthy lifestyle. Then go out and have <laughs> 10 drinks, right? True, then yeah. Go out and have 10 drinks, and that's, that's what I love about it. So I do think there's a lot of wellness behind outsiders, and yeah. that's why um, I'll always give it my support. It's funny. Uh, it, wellness is it's a word that's really overused, so I don't like to use it because everyone talks about this is wellness, that's wellness. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that is what we're doing, a healthier social environment. Uh, what's your most embarrassing moment? Of my life? Of your life. 
Can I take a second to think about this? Uh, sure. Okay, you ready? <laughs> it's interesting because it was an embarrassing moment, but I was by myself. Yeah, crazy. Do you feel safe talking about this right now? No, because it's, it's about almost shitting yourself. Well, there's been a few of those. Really? There's been a few of those. Yes, there have. You wouldn't be the only one talking about that. Yeah. Let's hear it. I was walking back from a campus, Bush campus to College Ave campus. I decided that day not to take the bus. And I'm cutting through this massive fucking park, right, from, from where the stadium was yeah. to get to College Ave. And, you know, college food. You have good days and it's bad fat days. Fat cats, man. If you, you had a good fat days cat, and bad days, man. So um, walking through the park and the the cut, you know, like <laughs> I gotta go, and I don't want to go anywhere but my bathroom, right? Yeah. And we lived off campus our second year, uh, my buddies and I. <laughs> so I'm like, I got I got a little journey ahead of me. But I remember because we all used to talk Did about. Did you make it? No, <laughs> okay. but not on myself. Like I found myself an alley. Okay, an alley. Yeah, and I, I, I like. Do you want the story or not? I think you meant by make it. Did you make it to a toilet? <laughs> yeah, didn't yeah, make yeah. it to a toilet, but I didn't shit on myself. Okay, is that good enough? Yeah, I mean, you want to give more detail? That's why I said I don't think we should. Get no, into that's it. fine. Well, yeah. <laughs> but it was, the funny thing is, there's no witnesses, so I didn't have to tell. But I got to my, I all I had to, what I ended up doing. So just to let you guys know, back back then, we all, everyone always had a story about shitting. Right? College kids, yo, I had to go. So we, we worked on the reversion process. Squeeze your muscle so that other muscle doesn't need to be active. So we were like holding the grips and what have you. So we, we had a strategy, right? And this was the Kegels? That one time, that one time, no, no, squeezing the fist. Yeah, okay. Pay yeah. attention. I was squeezing both fists. So that night, nothing was working. So I got, I was probably about 10 minutes away from the house, but I, one step forward, it was over. So I had to step backwards, and it, would, it was funny because you'll see a pair of sh sneakers, um, socks, shorts, and then, but I was into a hidden like driveway behind the garbage can. And problem yeah. solver, problem solver, here we go. Yeah. All right. So I still, still showed up <laughs> nice and clean, but I traumatized myself through it. So, yeah, so there you go. We aired it out. Out. <laughs> now everyone knows. There's everyone fucking knows. <laughs> everyone has a shit story. I don't right. care what anyone says. I agree. Um, this last segment is a series of five rapid fire questions. First thing that comes to mind, you answer. All okay. right. What's your favorite city other than New York City? San Diego. Okay. Weather? Weather's amazing. Gotcha. I would put Medellin right after that. Ooh, I've been to Medellin. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Nice. Uh, if you could do any other profession, what would you do? Something related in technology. Okay. I love technology. I love what it brings to the world. So, and I have a friend of mine that's been in the data center and software and co-location. I've always been tagging and learning from that just from the side in case this world shuts down. Nerd alert. I don't know shit about it. I don't I'm know about nerd alert, it's, it's, it's definitely. That didn't bother me. People call me nerd. I still kick their ass. It's fine. I hear you. Technology is very interesting. Uh, um, what's your advice? Patience, perseverance, persistence, gratefulness, gratitude. No, your vice. Your vice. Oh, vice. I thought you said advice. No, vice. What's your vice? Being a single man. Okay, I see. But I like it. That's another way of saying something else. So yes. you get it, guys? <laughs> Read between the lines. 
Um, <laughs> sometimes we censor, sometimes we don't. Exactly. No, we really don't censor. That. We don't kiss and tell. No. I don't. <laughs> What's your greatest fear? Um, interesting. Uh, probably passing out while I'm walking or driving. Really? It's weird, yeah. I've heard mm. enough stories, so it's like, because it's not the passing out part, it's where your head lands. Gotcha. And, and hoping someone helps you out, actually. If your brain didn't fucking crack. True. All right. You like that one? I do, I do. That's, I mean, it's a, it's a realistic fear, right? Uh, last question is, what did, what's your favorite food and you didn't bring anything? Yeah, so just to let you guys know, so I know now <laughs> that this is the last part of the segment uh, or the last part of the podcast, which is, is the bring your favorite food. And he texted me a couple hours ago and I was busy <laughs> with clients. So that wasn't going to take People presents. bring chips. People I bring did water. consider, I did consider ordering Uber Eats, right? What would you, would you order? Um, I was going to order either like a margarita pizza or filet mignon, but I didn't know how many people were here. I'm surprised you wouldn't have brought Lebanese food. From where? Just, oh yeah, let me just cook up a Lebanese meal while I'm in the middle of a meeting. There's no Lebanese restaurants in, not in this area? Not around here. There's Turkish. Really. Just There's Turkish. a bunch yeah. of Turkish, yeah. Uh, no listen, if I brought up like hummus, that's so cliche. Yeah. Especially for me. Come yeah. on, bro. I'm of not course. doing that. Of course. What is your favorite Lebanese dish? Hummus. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a dish called upside down, but it translates into that. It's called matlube. Ah, yeah, I love that stuff. Yeah, my mom Delicious. made it for us a lot. So basically, you're preparing the rice and the vegetables and whatever else they're putting in that mix, and the proteins are being prepared separately. But once the proteins are pretty much almost done, they'll put it on the base of the pan, and then the vegetables and the rice and all that on top of it. And when it's pretty much ready to roll, you get a bigger pan, you take this big pot, flip it over, Yeah. And then you lift it, and you're hoping it could stay looking like a cake as long as possible. But then you get around here, and it's just, just, just going. Right. But it, it tastes amazing. It reminds me a little of uh, my favorite Persian dish, which is called tachin. It's is that the one that you put I on made, yeah. a, a podcast of making it yourself? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna make this uh, this dish because it's my favorite dish, and my mom was helping me, uh, and I, and she wanted to do this together. I'd be, I thought it was cool to do it with her and. And, and, uh, yeah, and film it. I appreciate it. It was cool. Yeah, um, it was four hours to make, but uh, it was you know rice and then a layer of stuff in between and and then more rice and yeah, yeah, it was good. But anyway, you I didn't realize how much of a talker you are. <laughs> I could also say nothing. Yeah, but you, then that it's would, better this way. That but, would be uh, you, you know they're like on the trips, right? People come up to me. Oh, we thought you were just so quiet. You don't like to talk to us. What have you? And it's like, I'm selective. You have the male version of resting bitch face. That's what you got. I'm not going to take that. I don't know if I want to agree. About that. <laughs> but there's times where I uh, think it's better to observe. There's oh, times absolutely. where I think it's better to be quiet. And there's times where it's time to talk. Uh, I, I think you do a great job of finding that balance. You listen when you're supposed to. And when you're listening, you're actually listening. A lot of people will, will be listening with thinking about what they're going to say in response, but you, you're very uh, attentive. So I appreciate that about Empathy's you. Empathy's important. I, I'm Don't sorry. I, I couldn't make a comment because I was doing something about the resting bitch traits. It, it, I think it's a Middle Eastern thing. I don't have that. I don't agree with them anyway. It's not like <laughs> <laughs> I'm resting bitch face. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, brother, I appreciate everything you've done in my life for me. You've changed my life in many ways. 
And I'm glad you came on the show. Glad you have me. I love this stuff. I, oh, just to let you guys know, this was supposed to be popping my cherry experience when it came to <laughs> podcasts. But over the weekend, I had a last minute request to show up to a podcast yesterday. Um, so popping my cherry? Want, really? That's what you're going to say? Yeah, because that's what they told yeah, me. Oh, that, we're popping your cherry before your buddy does. So I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. But On that, that note, we're good to go. Thank you very much, right? Muhammad Hala. I appreciate you. Good Love to you, go. brother. Love that, you, too. But also, a side note, that podcast is probably not as good as this one. Yeah, right? this, that one is definitely not as good. <laughs> no fucking way. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. Peace. People come up to me. Oh, we thought you were just so quiet. You don't like to talk to us. I have it. And it's like, I'm selective. You have the male version of resting bitch face. That's what you got. I'm not going to take that. I don't know if I want to agree about that. <laughs> but there's times where I uh, think it's better to observe. There's oh, times absolutely. where I think it's better to be quiet. And there's times where it's time to talk. Uh, I, I think you do a great job of finding that balance. You listen when you're supposed to. And when you're listening, you're actually listening. A lot of people will, will be listening with thinking about what they're going to say in response. But you, you're very uh, attentive. So I appreciate that about Empathy's you. Empathy's important. I'm Don't sorry. I, I couldn't make a comment because I was doing something about the resting bitch traits. It, it, I think it's a Middle Eastern thing. I don't have that. I don't agree with them anyway. It's not like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, brother, I appreciate everything you've done in my life for me. You've changed my life in many ways, and I'm glad you came on this show. Glad Thank you have you. me. I love this stuff. I, oh, just to let you guys know, this was supposed to be popping my cherry experience when it came to <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> but over the weekend, I had a last-minute request to show up to a podcast yesterday. Um, so popping my cherry, wanna... really? That's what you're gonna say? Yeah, because that's what they told yeah, me. Oh, that... we're popping your cherry before your buddy does. So I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. But On that, that note, we're good to go. Thank you very much, right? Muhammad Hala. I appreciate you. Good Love to you, go. Brother. Love that, you too. But also, a side note: that podcast is probably not as good as this one. Right? Yeah, this that one's definitely not as good. <laughs> no <laughs> fucking way. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. Peace. Good Love to you, go. brother. Love that, you, too. But also, a side note, that podcast is probably not as good as this one. Yeah, right? this, that one's definitely not as good. <laughs> no <laughs> fucking way. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. Peace.